Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here, while I live my faith and live His blessed will. Oh, all of fire above me, Nothing not to fear With this melody My hungry soul shall fill Then sweeping up to glory I'll see His blessed face The rivers of delight Shall ever roll Hallelujah He's the lily of the valley The bright and morning star He's the fairest of ten thousand Valley, the bright morning star, the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Well, today we're going to get to one of the best parts, but also one of the, I guess, stickiest and most controversial parts of maybe the Bible itself. Remember the book of Romans, we're going to be in chapter 8, verse 29 and 30 today. But remember, the book of Romans is summed up in the chapter 1 and verse 17. And he talks about that. That he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the Bible says that, and Paul says that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not at works, lest anyone should boast. And so there's nothing we can do to earn it, to deserve it, to pay for it. But as the old song says, what? Jesus paid it all, right? He didn't leave anything for us to do. He just said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first three chapters really talk about the condemnation of men, that that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all of us are condemned and under sin. And when he gets to chapter 4, and five, he, four, he tells us how David was saved and how, how Abraham was saved. When we get to chapter five, he talks about the security of our salvation. That if we've trusted in Christ, that we are secure in him. Then when he gets to chapter six, he tells us that uh, we need to put away sin, that our responsibility is to put away sin. But when he gets to chapter seven, Paul says, the things I want to do, I can't do. But... If I want to do them, I don't do them. But if I don't want to do them, I do those. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he launches into chapter 8 and tells us how through the power of the Holy Spirit we can live the Christian life. Just as we couldn't come to Christ on our own and be saved, we cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit to guide, direct us, lead us, and most of all, give us the power to live the Christian life. Because it's the Holy Spirit power that gives us the power to say no to sin and yes to God. And so that's what Paul does is he's mentioned the Holy Spirit one time in eight chapters. But then he, he launches into this great eight chapter and mentions the Holy Spirit 18 or 20 times. And he says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. To be in Christ means that you're saved, that you've been forgiven, 
you put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. And so as we look through this chapter, we talked about how those that, that live for God put to death the deeds of the flesh and that what the law could not do, God sent his son in the likeness of human flesh or sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful, but he condemned sin in the flesh. Then he talked about our sonship. And this really is another great chapter that talks about our eternal security. That if God has forgiven us, we remember down there in verse 35, you know, I always heard people say, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? But it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he names all these inanimate objects. objects, And he says, basically, what shall separate us? Who shall or what shall? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he talks about how we suffer, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and prays for us and makes intercession because he knows the will of God. And then he finishes up that section. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes. And then here's where we're at today, verse 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So today we're going to talk about the five links of salvation. And really the plan of God from eternity past was not to get us started, but to get us finished, get us to glory, right? To get us to him, to make us like him. And that's why we hear that expression, the Lord's not finished with me or we're a work in progress. What was that little song? I can't remember. I didn't sing it a whole lot, but it was a song about the Lord. He's still working on me. And uh, some of y'all are probably more familiar with that than I am. I sang it a little bit, but didn't sing it probably as much as some of y'all. The first part of God's purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And the second part of that, or the second phase of that, is that we might be, that he might be the firstborn born among many brethren. In other words, he might have first place among many children of God. That he wanted to create a fellowship, a brotherhood. He wanted to create a redeemed humanity, people that were saved, forgiven, that would be made like Jesus. And he wanted to reflect his glory in us. He wanted people to know that his glory could be had through us. The purpose of salvation is to be made like Christ, and we're also seeing the progress of salvation. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, as we read this section, he says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And like I said, this is one of the stickiest passages in the Bible because I don't know how many of y'all know about this, and I won't get too far into it, but there's basically uh, two camps. The Bible says that we are elect, that we are chosen, and we are called of God, and there are some people that are called Calvinists, and then there's other people called Arminians, and there's truth in both sides. One time I was more leaning towards the Calvinistic side, and I know that God is is sovereign but how these things work nobody knows god is sovereign 
The Bible says that God causes, he elects us, he chooses us, but he also says man is responsible. And wherever you go in your Bible, he tells us whosoever calls on him shall be saved, right? He says whoever wants to come and drink the water of life, let him come and drink freely. He says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He said he died for all men. Some people tell you he didn't die for everybody, he just died for the elect. But I believe that he died for everybody. He died for every single person that said God so loved the world. He said he, he died not only for us, but for the sins of the whole world. That's what Paul said. And so he dies, he dies for all of us. When we get to this section, he says those whom he foreknew. And this is kind of where you get into this foreknew and this predestination. These are the two, two of the sticky terms that talks about this term election. What happens here, he says, those he foreknew. And when you look at this Greek word, it's the word prog prognosis, basically. And prognosis, if you've ever been to the doctor, what does the doctor do? He says, well, the prognosis is good or it's bad or whatever, right? And he tells you what he sees. Well, I'm of the opinion that, that God sees down through eternity and somehow or another, even though he's sovereign, he, he knows who's going to trust him. He knows who's going to believe on him. And he looks down through eternity past. Because remember, eternity is all the same to God, right? There is no really past, present, and future. He, he, he sees it all at one time, right? But it says in our mind, in eternity past, that he chose some people. He elected, he, he predetermined that he would call these people. But this term foreknow, it really means that he, I believe, that he looked down through time and he saw those who would trust him and believe on him. And like I said, the Bible says there's none that, that seeks God, no, not one. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. But the Bible says that he speaks to everybody and everybody has a choice. Uh, he tells Stephen, says to the Pharisees in chapter 7, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of hearts, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. I believe that God looks down through time and somehow or another He's sovereign and we're responsible. How that works, I don't know. I know that God is sovereign and He's going to work things out the way He wants to, but He also says He gives us a choice and I believe that He gives us a real choice. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 1 Chapter 2, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those that are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And he talks about that in Matthew 7, 23, and he talks about some of the people one day that they're going to say, well, we preached, and we did signs, we did wonders, we did miracles, we did all these things. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because there's two parts to that word prognosis. And that last word gnosis, it, it speaks of knowledge, right? Knowledge. And four means before time. And so what does he do? He knows who his people are. So like, it's that intimate knowledge, right? And the Bible says that, that Christianity is not just a set of do's and don'ts like most religions say. But Christianity is a relationship with a living God, right? 
Because my God lives. He died, He was buried, He rose again. All these other people that made up all these religions, they died there in their grave and they never came out of it again. They're still there, but Jesus rose again. We sing that, we celebrate it on Easter. Uh, we see in 1 Corinthians 15 that it says that over 500 people at one time saw Jesus after he had risen from the grave. There were all these people that saw him. Foreknow means to know beforehand. And some people say, well, he knew. And, and the reason he knew is because he's the one that chose. And somehow or another he chose, but we're responsible. But he also, the reason he foreknew us and he predestined us, foreknow means he, he, there's a purpose behind all this. He foreknew us to do what? Those he foreknew, he also predestined. Why did he know us? Why did he want to know us? Why did he want to have people who were forgiven and saved that they would be predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. And predestined literally means predetermined, right? He predetermined beforehand that he would make us into the image of his son that we would be holy and pure and righteous and virtuous, that our light would so shine that others would see our good works and do what? Glorify Him in heaven, right? This predetermination is to conform us to the image of the Son of God, and that really is the vital point of this whole section right here in verse 29 and 30. So the whole reason God foreknows us and, and predestines us is so that we'd be holy and that we would be like his son and we would be forgiven. Ephesians 1 5 says he predestined us to adoption as sons. See, he predestined us to something, right? He predetermined that we would be sons according to the good pleasure of his will. And the Bible says over and over and over again that we're going to be made like him, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, and he died for all. There you go, there it is, and he died for all. all those, who, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, died, but for him who died for them and rose again. I didn't read that very good. 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Like I said, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And that word firstborn, you remember in the Old Testament, it had the significance of first place, right? If you remember some of the kids in the Old Testament, the first son, what did he get? Basically, he was the one, remember when Esau sold his birthright to Isaac? And, and, he, and he sold his, his places. Ultimately, what would happen to firstborn child would be what? He would be the one that, that ran the family when daddy got where he couldn't or he passed away. But he would also be the one that got two-thirds of the inheritance because he was the firstborn in the Old Testament. And he would be the one that had first place in the family after daddy, right? And that's what Jesus is here he was born into this world that he might have first place. And that's what Colossians chapter 1 talks about here. He says in verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. 
Preeminence means first place, right? Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church. He predetermined, he predestined, and he says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, he also justified. Let's stop right there. So the next thing he says is, these he also called. Called means from something that you were before to something new, right? And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, like we just come back out of Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are the called according to his purpose. What are, what are they called? They're called according to what? His purpose, right? Ephesians 2, 10 talks about it. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were saved and forgiven that we might walk in good works, that we would be like Jesus, right? Paul says in Romans 1, 1, he's a bond servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And he says in Revelation 19, 9, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. We're called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then I like this one most of all, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light that we might what? Proclaim his praises, right? He says we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And he called us. I believe the Bible says whosoever will, whosoever believes, whoever may come. That's what I believe. And like I said, people fight over election and over this doctrine of predestination. But it, it's not that God doesn't elect and he does predestine. He does do those things. But the question is, is why does he do it and how does he do it? <laughs> Some people say, well, he chose a certain group of people and he didn't choose anybody else. And that's where it gets confusing and it gets divisive. But, you know, here's the bottom line. It doesn't really matter how God did it. You know what's wonderful? The fact that he did do it, right? That he did call us, that he did forgive us, that he did choose us and that we are forgiven and saved and one day we're going to heaven that's what I think is wonderful I don't care how he did it <laughs> it doesn't matter to me how he did it it just matters that he did I told somebody one time I said I, I said when God was speaking to my heart I was sort of like Jonah you know Jonah he could have gone back to Tarshish again on the ship again but he had a choice, but he really didn't have a choice because the best choice was to do what God wanted him to do, right? And that's the way I felt when God called me. There was a choice, but there really wasn't a choice because there was only one smart choice, and that was to trust Jesus because the life I was living before I knew Christ and the life that God was promising me through him, it was a whole other ballgame. I mean, it's, you, know, you can't compare the two of them, right? To me, there's really, there was really no choice. 
I had a choice. I could continue to live like I was for the world or I could choose to live for Jesus. And he called and I answered and I said, yes, Lord, that's what I want to do because I don't want to continue living the way I've been living. The next thing he says is four step in the chain here. The first step was he foreknew. The second was he predestined. The third step was he called. And then the fourth step is that he justifies us. This word justified, it, it means literally it's an act of God where God chooses to declare somebody righteous. I've kind of used this illustration over and over again. Say tomorrow, I guess the banks are open tomorrow, I don't think it's a holiday. But say tomorrow I decided to go down to the bank and, and I went into the bank and I robbed the bank and you know, the, they sounded the alarm and there was about a hundred witnesses in the bank saw me and they got me on the camera and the die blew up on me and I had it all over me and then I went out to, by the time I got out the bank, you know, there just happened to be a news crew out there and they filmed me and there was a bunch of police and a big crowd out there and they all saw me and of course I went to court and guess what, they had so many witnesses, it was a done deal, they convicted me, right? And about the time that this judge was fixing to sentence me, a man comes in and he says, Mr. McKenzie, I've got a pardon for the governor for you. Now, I was declared guilty, right? And what does the governor do? He comes in and get, declares me legally righteous. I am not righteous. I've, I have broken the law. I have robbed a bank. It's been proved. And the Bible says we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God, right? But what, is, what does God do? He legally declares us righteous. He treats the sinful person as if, we had, as, we, as if we had lived the life of Jesus Christ. And that was the whole purpose Jesus came. You know, people talk about, well, you know, I can do something to get to heaven. But when you think about it, you couldn't do anything because we were all sinners. Even Paul did. He said, oh, wretched man I am, I'm the chief of sinners. And Paul was the, probably the greatest Christian to ever live. But he, he says, think about this, that we all fail, we all fall. And a lot of times we do it every day. But what does God do? He continues to forgive us because he came to earth and he, he lived a perfectly sinless life. He had to do that for 33 years, right? He lived a perfect sinless life for 33 years and after he lived that perfect sinless life he died on the cross while he was on the cross he was paying for our sins right when it was dark those three hours first the three hours that where he was beaten he was hung on the cross and then the three hours it was dark that was when he was actually taking our hell for us when he said my god my god why have you forsaken me and second corinthians five twenty one says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Paul said in Philippians 3.9, he says uh, that he wanted to have a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Not his righteousness, but the righteousness which comes from faith. So basically what happened is when Jesus was on the cross, you know what he did? God the Father treated Jesus the Son as if he had committed all the sins that 
anybody who's ever lived, ever will live, ever has lived, is ever living now, as if we had, as if he had committed those sins. That's what he did to Jesus on the cross. He treated him as if he had done, committed all of our sins of everybody who had ever been born. And because he lived a perfect, sinless life and never ever sinned, he died, was buried, and rose again. Because of that, when we say we believe that and put our trust in Jesus Christ, he says, I can declare you, Marty, legally righteous on the basis of faith. And that's what God does. That's how he does it. He, he justifies us. He declares us legally righteous. He treats us as if we had lived the perfect life of Jesus Christ and never done anything wrong simply because we put our faith in him that's the hard part for people to believe that, that we can just put our trust in Jesus by faith and faith alone but then the last thing he says here is those he justified these he also glorified this is the fifth check fifth link in the chain those that he justified legally declared righteous he also glorified and what I want you to notice here is this is in a past tense. Notice all of these things are in a past tense, right? He pre predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And he says, whom he predestined, these he also called. Those are past tense. And who's he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. That's in a past tense, right? In other words, this is good as done. <laughs> because when God says something, what does he do? He does it, right? The Bible says that God cannot lie, that God is holy and pure and righteous, and that he's going to glorify us one day for those that know Jesus Christ. It says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Philippians 3.21 says, Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself second thessalonians 2 14 says to which he called you by our gospel for the attain obtaining of the glory of our lord jesus christ when you think about it here's the bottom line god who starts up was philippians 1 i think verse 6 say he who began a good work in you will complete it into the day of Jesus Christ. And if he's begun a good work in us, what's he going to do? He's going to complete it, right? If he's forgiven us and saved us, remember we've talked about this and we've talked about it more that Paul always uses these other arguments where he says, if he did this, won't he do this? And he uses the greater thing. If Christ died for us, won't he also do the lesser thing for us? I mean, the greatest thing God could ever do for us is die, for, die in our place and die for our sins. And if he did that, won't he do these smaller, littler things? Because when he was on the cross, he was separated from God the Father. Don't ask me how God the Son can be separated from God the Father. But he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And during that period of time, he was paying for all of our sins. We have to realize that, that God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life and if you've trusted in him he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son and he also has justified you and one day he's going to glorify you we talked about that verse in 818 that we've 
I use all the time that the suffering of this world is not worthy to be compared with the glory which we'll have in Him. He says that. He says the glory which shall be revealed in us. couple of lessons. You know, we don't know how all of this works. It doesn't really matter. The fact is, is we need to know this much. We need to know that if, we, if God died for our sins through Jesus Christ and He is God and He did die for our sins and we put our trust in Him, that He's going to make us like His Son. And that through this life that He's making us more and more like His Son. That's the whole, the first reason we're here is that we might give Him glory, but the second reason is that we might be made like Him, right? That we would, that we would be made like His Son. And Paul says this kind of conundrum in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He says, there's nothing good that dwells in me that is my flesh. And We'll never understand this Bible totally and completely. The Bible says God's ways are not our ways and our ways are not His ways. But you know what the Bible does say? He says you must become like a little child. Unless you become like a little child and put your trust in Him and believe in Him and take by faith the fact that Jesus died in your place and died for your sins you'll by no means enter the kingdom of God, right? That, that's the key point of this whole section, that God loves us, and when we put our trust in Him, He forgives us. If you're a believer and you've truly trusted in Christ, guess what? God's going to take you all the way to the end. Hebrews 13, I think verse 5 says, He will never leave you nor never, never forsake you. He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. Like I said, we'll next week we'll probably cover the next six or seven verses, but try to. But He says that if God be for us, who can be against us, right? And if God's for us, it doesn't matter who's against us because compared to God, everybody else is nothing. <laughs> They're absolutely nothing. So let's pray and we'll close. Father, we just are so thankful that you loved us and you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Lord, we, we are so thankful that we don't understand everything, Lord. Uh, we'd like to sometimes, but Lord, if, if we understood everything, we'd, we, you'd be a puny God because you are so much greater and holier and mightier than we are. But Lord, as one man says, how, how big is your God? My God's big, Lord. I, I just can't understand you. And I'm thankful that you're so mighty and wonderful and powerful that I don't understand everything. And the more I realize that I know, the less I realize that I really do understand and really know. As one man said, when people graduate from seminary, they think they know it all. And after they get a few years, they realize how little they know. Lord, just help us to continue to trust you. And if we know that, that you're faithful and, and worthy, as the song said this morning, we sang, if we would just trust and obey, for there's no other way to be joyful in Jesus but to trust and obey. And we'll thank you for who you are and what you've done for us and continue to do 
all the way through eternity in Jesus name Amen Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.